my friends in Christ. Catholics like Lent. We may not admit it always, but we do. We like the ashes of Ash Wednesday, and we even like sacrifice and self-denial. We don't always do them so well, but we like the thought of them at least. We do like Lent. But you know, Lent is more than ashes, sacrifice and self-denial, fast and abstinence. In the early church, Lent was all about preparing for baptism. It still is. And for those of us who are already baptized, Lent is the ideal time for us to get in touch with the meaning of our baptism. I know I talk a lot about baptism from this pulpit. That's because I'm convinced that if we were to really awaken to our baptism, who we are because of our baptism, and what our baptism calls us to, everything would be different. Everything. And we are lucky that there are powerful reminders of baptism all around us in this cathedral. I've often observed that it is hard to escape baptism in St. James Cathedral. The baptism of Christ is prominent on the bronze ceremonial doors at the main entrance of the cathedral. Our baptistry stops us in our tracks when we enter the main aisle. And even in the side vestibules, we are met by baptismal fonts, holy water fonts. And that glorious central stained glass window up there in the east apse is the baptism window. There's the story of Noah and the flood, which we heard in the readings today. In the middle is the story of Moses coming through the Red Sea from slavery to freedom with the chosen people, and then on top, the baptism of Christ. And during Advent and Easter, our masses begin with being sprinkled with baptismal water. And each month, we baptize a bunch of babies, every month. <laughs> As I said, it's hard to escape baptism in St. James Cathedral. And why would we want to? And I would add that we Pacific Northwesterners have a head start on understanding baptism. We know a lot about water. We have beautiful lakes, raging rivers, majestic waterfalls, and we have rain. We could write the book on rain, couldn't we? And yes, we have destructive floods, landslides, soggy days, and leaky roofs. We know from experience that water has two very distinct meanings. Water means death, and water also means life. And that gives us a head start on understanding baptism. It does. For many of us, our baptism is a moment not even remembered, a moment we know only from family stories, perhaps, or from photo albums, or today, more likely, from videos, or from a dog-eared piece of paper with names and dates and the fading signature of a parish priest. But, remembered or not, there was, for each of us, a moment in time when water, probably cold enough to make us cry, flowed over us. And at that moment, we experienced a kind of death, a beginning share in Christ's saving death, symbolized by those drowning waters. And of course, at that same moment, new life became ours, the life of Christ. We became part of the body of Christ. We became 
new creations. My friends, the church wants us to think of these things during Lent. The church gives us six full weeks to think long and hard about baptism. And not just to think about it, to wake up to our baptism. For the church knows that viewed with the eyes of faith, nothing more important has ever happened to us than our baptism. The church also, as you know, focuses during these grace-filled days of Lent on those who are preparing for baptism. There are some of them with us this morning. They are full of excitement and anticipation because their Lenten journey this year will culminate when they walk into the baptismal pool at the great Easter vigil. Baptism. Preparing for it or waking up to it. That's what Lent is all about. We may more typically think of Lent in terms of ashes and abstinence, of desserts denied or drinks declined, and that's okay. In fact, it's good, as long as those penitential practices bring us in touch with our baptism. Think of them as the dying part of baptism, the drowning waters, if you will, the death to sin and selfishness. Think of them as our sharing of what Jesus once called his baptism, referring not to his baptism in the River Jordan, but to the impending ordeal of his passion and death. I have a baptism, Jesus said, with which I am to be baptized, and how impatient I am that it be accomplished. Baptism. It is important to remember what we heard in today's gospel. The same Jesus who one minute found himself basking in baptismal glory, the glory of being God's beloved son, in another minute found himself in a lonely desert wrestling with the forces of evil through 40 long days and nights, struggling mightily against Satan's enticements to sin, insidious temptations that must have seemed so sensible at the time, struggling mightily but never giving in. That was Jesus' story. Is it our story? I believe it is the story of each one of us, the story of everyone who follows Christ. With this difference, all too often, we part company with Jesus by forsaking the struggle and taking the easy way out. We would like our baptism, if at all possible, to be a sort of inoculation against sin and life's painful struggles. It isn't, of course. Our baptism is a passport to glory, but it is certainly no shortcut to glory. Our baptism gives us the church, this community of believers, to walk with us along life's journey, to support us on that journey. And of course, our baptism gives us the assurance of God's grace along that journey, more powerful by far than even the most discouraging of human weaknesses. My friends, water does tell the story. Water that drowns and destroys, water that cleanses, refreshes, and gives life. The story told by water is our story, the story of good mixed with evil, of sin washed by grace, of failure and triumph, of life and death. No, I should have said death and life, because in this particular story, no matter how it may seem to us now, in this particular story, 
life, not death, gets the last word.